I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. My guest today is Andrew Marcus, a dancer and visual artist who founded Disappearance in 2010 to explore the boundary space between the ordinary, the beautiful, and the sublime. Disappearance develops practices to effectively transcend such boundaries, to encourage experience of the magical and the erotic, and to unequivocally engage the real. Marcus holds an MFA in dance and performance from Arizona State University. His experiments with improvisation and somatic practices date to 1980 and he is active internationally. The School of Disappearance opened in 2013. In recent years, the body-mind, as both intra- and interdependent system, enclosed within larger systems, has become a locus of inquiry beyond aesthetic interventions. Having moved disappearance into territories equally of psyche and social political space. These movements have been in response to needs of students and individual clients, as well as presence with social struggles and the critical need for transformation of societal structures, with particular attention paid to the most exploited, suppressed, and oppressed communities populations, and the biosphere. Among important current influences are Lacanian psychoanalytic perspectives, adult attachment theory, various strands of continental philosophy, Marxist and post-Marxist theory, including investigations of race within systems of power, racial capitalism, and the trauma of the colonial. Courses of disappearance class for continuing study are coming up beginning in January. There's eight Wednesday morning meetings from January 5th to February 23rd, 2022 from 9 to 11 a.m. Mountain Standard Time as well as eight Wednesday morning meetings from March 30th to May 18th, also from 9 to 11 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. Those are via Zoom. In the studio in Boulder, Colorado, there are courses, six meetings on Saturday afternoons from January 8th to February 12th from 2 to 4 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, and six Saturday afternoons from March 26th to April 30th. For more information and to register, visit schoolofdisappearance.tumblr.com and contact Andrew Marcus directly at disappearance.project at gmail. Links to everything can be found in the text accompanying this episode. 
As with all Rendering Unconscious podcast episodes, there is a video accompanying this episode at YouTube. Just visit Trapart Films' YouTube channel, that's T-R-A-P-A-R-T Film at YouTube, or search for Rendering Unconscious podcast. Links to everything can be found in the text accompanying this episode. Rendering Unconscious is also a book. Rendering Unconscious, Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics, and Poetry, from Trapart Books 2019. For more information, you can visit our publisher's website, trapart.net. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T dot net. You can support the podcast at our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Vanessa 23 Carl. That's V-A-N-E-S-S-A 2-3-C-A-R-L. Your support is very appreciated. Thank you so much for supporting Rendering Unconscious Podcast and all of my other creative endeavors. Well, I think the obvious place then would be to start with this um, aspect of appearance and presence and disappearance and absence, because that is so psychoanalytic. But of course, it's so psychoanalytic because it's so human. Well, thank you. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that's a good question. Disappearance and appearance. I, I think... My, my use of the term disappearance relative to my work started with the disappearance of my own life, uh, which began to happen. Well, one could say, as you're probably aware from the psychoanalytic perspective, one could say, well, it's been happening since birth or before possibly, right? Um, <clears throat> but I think I founded a performance-oriented aspect of my work at, uh, as Andrew Marcus' disappearance in 2010 when my forays into graduate school and kind of getting out of a life that I had in New York City where I felt a lot of limitations as a dancer, choreographer, painter. And... Uh, kind of at that point, because of the changing financial climate, you know, um, the neoliberal period of late stage capitalism was really kicking in in New York in the 1990s. And I'd been there since the seventies uh, when I went to art school, Cooper Union, and then got involved with the postmodern dance scene, which was much, much more exciting than the visual art world, because the visual art world sort of had gotten really co-opted just by the markets, we could say. Um, so around 2004, I decided to, to leave New York as a base. And I thought the way to do that would be to go to graduate school. A lot of choreographers, dancers were kind of retreating into academia at that point because there was no work left anymore. It was hard to make it as a professional artists. So in my case, that was a very wrong decision. I think 
I think um, academia, academia works well and for certain disciplines, but I don't think so much so for the professional artists. I think perhaps language-oriented disciplines, I think it works very well, but often. I'm sure you're familiar with and what I've heard from some of your podcasts that you've had your own run-ins with institutionalized learning, particularly around psychoanalysis, right? But um, <clears throat> so that was in 2004 and I'll skip ahead to 2008, the financial collapse. So, you know, all of my efforts to kind of gather some security for my mature years, I suppose, fell by the wayside with the financial collapse and my disappointment with graduate school and performance, dance performance and realizing that I kind of wasn't cut out to be in the institutional framework. And I felt that I would kind of kill my art. So uh, we pretty much lost everything that I had, which was not a lot. <laughs> I came from a working class Jewish background from the Bronx, basically. But um, everything was kind of gone, the financial collapse. I was kind of running around Europe teaching and, and performing, working with a Dutch choreographer during these years while well, I actually was still in graduate school because I entered the graduate school in 2005. And, and uh, met a Dutch dancer. We had a lot of issues around which we could gather in terms of performance and sort of outside of maybe traditional performance spaces and institutional frameworks broadly. And uh, her name was Vilma Vesurs from the Netherlands. And she had a, uh, a base in Switzerland. So we developed something together called the Slow Training for Embodied Projects and did site-specific performances, actually interestingly performing in a lot of um, sacred spaces, old ancient, churches and things and all kinds of places, but no theaters. And out of this sort of kind of running around Europe and running back to Arizona where I had been in graduate school, just as a way to kind of retreat, I, I decided to develop something called Andrew Marcus Disappearance. And that was sort of my conceptual location, you could say, in terms of orienting toward a practice whereby uh, my artistic life and the way I actually kind of move through the world ecologically, economically, uh, would be consistent, integrated. In a way it hadn't been before. It was always like I was, I did made art, I made dances, and you know, I had teaching work. I taught the experimental theater wing at New York University for about 10 years as an adjunct before I left New York. And, but nonetheless, there was a separation between kind of my economic life and my artistic life and my spiritual life. And once I finally kind of lost everything, I realized, well, all my strategies to kind of remain safe and secure were 
not serving me. So I said, well, let's just make the art and the life the same. I founded Andrew Marcus Disappearance. And after life in Europe got untenable because I'm sure you're aware, you know, the institution of the Schengen Treaty in Europe made it much harder for Americans to kind of move around in Europe. He had to leave the whole continent. So everything I made when I was teaching the slow training for embodied projects, which was this kind of experimental, uh, physically based artistic training was spent kind of moving back and forth. And, and, and so I eventually just had to leave Europe and drop back into New York briefly in 2012. I couldn't uh, gain a toehold. There was no more rent stabilized apartment anymore. And it was a very different landscape than it was when I'd been there. So interest, I dropped down to Virginia because I was invited down to do some teaching work in a couple of universities, just master classes. So I wasn't didn't have a kind of a gig. But I interestingly ran into um, a man named Michael Sheretti, who was uh, a minister at a Baptist church in Norfolk, Virginia, who somehow we hit it off. He was into kind of early Christianity coming out of First Temple Judaism. I knew something about kind of the esoteric traditions of Christianity and Kabbalah. And we sort of intersected around that. And he invited me because I'd done so much performing in sacred spaces in Europe. He, as a Jew, mind you, but uh, he invited me to, I'd been very involved with kind of early Christianity through, through basically the history of Western art, I just all Christian up until the 19th century, essentially. essentially. So, so um, he invited me to teach ritual practice to his congregation. And then the kind of lead minister of the church asked me to perform so I ended up performing embodiments of the Virgin Mary in, in liturgies and, 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 and church services. It was very interesting. And then I put a little money together and I called some friends around the country from when I had been in the States, really kind of my infrastructure for working in the States was kind of non-existent at that point. But... I set up a little tour for myself and I opened a school of disappearance, which was a pedagogy based upon my experiences traveling through Europe and teaching and, 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 and performing. And what's happened since then, just to bring you up to date, is that recently I decided that all of my practices would be held under the container of the school of disappearance because You know, I don't know, after I founded Andrew Marcus, Andrew Marcus Disappearance, which came out of Andrew Marcus' performance in the 90s, um, a dance company I had, um, I decided I didn't want my name branded. And uh, so now all the practices are at the School of Disappearance, whether it's performance, painting, teaching. So that's sort of the framework. And uh, That's where we are today. So I, I almost forgot what the question was or if there's another question coming. <laughs> well, it was just this idea of presence and absence and disappearance and appearance. All right, so I gave this kind of biography, but I don't know if, if that, hopefully that was helpful just to contextualize things. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, right. I gave you that because it was my own disappearance that that kind of 
set things in motion, my own sense of my own disappearance. I think I went through a moment where this period from 2008, when I got my methane performance and, and, and then was kind of mostly in Europe and realizing I didn't want to utilize the degree in any kind of a formal way and really was kind of living in a sense like an animal, pretty much day to day meal to meal, place to live. Um, I became interested in what might emerge out of this appearance. And interestingly, we had a concentration in the slow training from body project. The final concentration of that program was called presence, absence, and transcendence. When I settled in Boulder, and opened the school of disappearance and on my own completely. And, and the school as a kind of pedagogy began to develop in its own direction. Um, I, I shifted the final concentration. I think I added a concentration to kind of the formula that I developed with Vilma and the slow training. Uh, in the seventh concentration, I, I, I moved away from presence, absence, transcendence, because particularly in Boulder, where Chagam Trungpa founded Neuropa University, and this somehow this became a, a nexus for kind of spiritualists and all kinds of practitioners of esoteric disciplines. A lot of people converge on Boulder, and I want to say, in spite of Trungpa's efforts, there's a lot of what I would call spiritual materialism here in Boulder. So I kind of reacted against that. And I said, well, I'm taking transcendence out of this concentration. It's, it sounds a little too bypassy. So I named the seventh concentration appearance. And interestingly, what underlies appearance for me is void. Um, presence, absence, appearance, I think those were I don't know if they're nouns or verbs or both, but um, when I was, when I dropped back into New York in 2012 from Europe, I was kind of running around trying to figure out if I could land anywhere, bring out my work. I was reading Alain Badieu, I was reading his second manifesto for philosophy. And interestingly, a lot of the terms I'd began to employ relative to my own work, terms such as the real and um, at the moment I can't think of some other, but the event, uh, I began to work with these terms kind of on my own. I think they were just in the field, but then I saw that Badiou was using these terms in very specific ways. And then it took me a long time before I found out that Badiou got some of that from Lacan. So I, once I kind of did the detective work around that, I, I did start reading Lacan. Well, reading his interpreters mostly. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know, several years ago, not that long ago. And, 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 and uh, I began to develop 
kind of further consolidate my conception of the real, and that's something that we could talk about, you know, if, what is the conception of real that I'm employing relative to Lacan's real, and might be interesting to get into that a little bit, but so the question of presence and absence and uh, appearance, you know, the final, the first concentration of the school of disappearance is body. And basically body is an orientation toward internality. What I would, you know, it's not necessarily, yeah. And it's, it's an inquiry into what is, what is body? Uh, what is the internal? How do we define internality relative to externality? Um, you know, is, is this the body or, or, or is something else the body, right? What are its limits? Um, but I would say concentration seven, appearance in the school framework underlies body because I wanna say it's almost, disappearance terms the void underlies everything. And one, um, I'm horrible in math, but one thing, I got, one thing that really kind of interested me about Badieu was his employment of set theory out of Cantor. And, and this idea, and I may have it all completely wrong, but for my own purpose, it kind of works. So if you think of a set, a set as a, a number of elements by which they are linked and, and elements that share certain characteristics by which they could be defined as a set, right? But there's also this zero with a slash through it, which is not zero. It's not nothing. It's the absence of even that, let's say. Every set includes that, I think. So, so the set includes elements that are included and that belong to it, or have constitutional properties by which they belong to the set. But this, I don't know if it's the null set, is included in the set, but it doesn't belong. And so when I take that idea and I extrapolate it into a, a, an important concept in disappearance, which is, which is the situation, well, I think that's another term that I think that you also worked with. Um, what are the elements of the situation? The situation is always an infinite set. What's interesting about the concept of, in, of an infinite set is that mathematically this can be proven. I have no idea how to do it, but there are different scales of, of infinite sets. There are smaller and larger infinite sets. So if we look at the situation, for instance, you and I are speaking together. We both came with our own situations to this meeting and we're in the process of generating a situation together that has certain limits, certain parameters that we will stay within, right? But being that the situation, even though we have this, we're defining you and I, and, we, and, and if we were to speak more deeply about it or, or more um, specifically about it, you might define the situation would be shared differently than the way I would define it. No doubt you experience it differently than I experience it. You have your own history, you have your own psyche, you have your own embodied experience. So, 
so the, even though we could say narrowly our situation, Vanessa, you and I, is mediated by the Zoom technological framework, you're in your office, I'm in my living room, um, we're going to talk about certain things. Nonetheless, we both, I would presume, have a sense that there's, there's a certain, it's beyond us, actually. <laughs> situation that's that's a characteristic of the infinite aspect of the set which we're or, or of the situation if we could use a set as a metaphor for our situation the situation exceeds us so in that the situation exceeds us that we can never actually feel it or know it or experience it in entirety it always exceeds us. So, and, and, and that obviously, or you might say, well, yeah, that actually connects to certain ideas about the real, right? <clears throat> so the void that is included in every set, and I would extend that metaphor to the situation. In other words, there's a void in every situation. And I feel like that void is the space of appearance. Void is, is the potentiality for something to occur. And there's a certain emptiness that's required in order for a new appearance to emerge. And so, so appearance in the disappearance framework is sort of superficial to void. And void underlies everything. So when we go back to concentration one, body, all of a sudden a lot's thrown into question. So I could say about disappearance as a method of inquiry, which, you know, I began in my, I guess, suppose late adolescence, early adulthood, struggling for an identity. Um, I latched on the painting. I was in art school, latched on the painting and became very, very serious about painting. And the, the education I got at Cooper Union was, I, I didn't graduate by the way. I mean, I was so kind of maladjusted socially. Um, I think coming out of a family traumatized by the Holocaust and, and the depression and various other things. Um, Oh, the death of my father at the age of five, his absence mostly due to illness from the time I was three. Um, I think psychoanalytically, there's a lot that's interesting there, obviously. I mean, there's a lot of rich material to get into in terms of the Oedipal framework, right? But um, I came into this identity of an artist and what was important as I didn't graduate from Cooper Union, the idea that my professors put in my head with my art professors was that I was gonna be a star in the art world. They'd have to worry so much about the academics, things would fall into place. But I, I, um, I couldn't connect with the art world. And, and, and so I made a left and went into dance, but it's partially because not only because of the economy, but also because of an idea of, uh, I thought, well, 
I actually want to be the object in space. I want to be the body in space. Rather than always have a kind of composition that exists outside that I could manipulate, you know, the materials uh, and, and, and questions of frame and illusionistic depth and all of that. You know, I said, well, I want to be the object in space. So I became a dancer. Um, and because I was dyslexic and couldn't reproduce choreography so well, certain perceptual handicaps, I was became an improviser and I became ultimately someone who improvised exclusively in performance and I have to develop conceptual strategies for being able to do that and being able to be available in the moment without having a, a kind of safety net you could say that choreography provides and what is my relation to my audience, a lot of things. A lot of interesting problems developed out of that, but I, I guess I could say I'm sort of free associating. That's all right. Hey. <laughs> so, so I developed my identity as an artist, although because the other kind, this was like a painter's class, and there was like five stars in the painter's class. I was one of them, but I was completely not um, available to putting one foot in front of the other and doing what was required. And Cabrini was intense because it was all scholarship. You couldn't pay to get in. I mean, I, it's the only place I ever applied to. I would have been just sort of probably working at a gas station in Mount Vernon, um, which was the, the town on the north border of the Bronx. I'm sure you're aware um, where my parents moved to when they had myself and my sister. Um, but I happened to get into Cabrini because I could draw. and and. Uh, I, I got very serious about being a painter and, and the thing that I left there with, although my friends and colleagues, you know, they had their degrees, they went off to Yale and Harvard and got galleries in New York and became professors. You know, I was sort of in this liminal, unprotected space in New York City. Um, and I met in a lot of ways the real, I mean, Someone was murdered in my East Village apartment building um, at some point in the late 70s, early 80s. And, and it, it was rough territory, especially in the 70s. You know, I mean, the Dinkins administration, I mean, there was a lot of tolerance, which was beautiful. And, and there was a lot of potentiality for, for kind of freedom of movement. Of course, Giuliani eradicated all of that and brought the city into kind of a near fascist kind of uh, neoliberal space. And, and, but what I got from Cooper Union was, was, and was the means by which I could engage in critical inquiry relative to my artistic development. And, and those critical skills became very important in my pursuit of dance and performance and developing the pedagogy as well. But the pedagogy always came out of my experiments as an artist. It was, it was always an artist first. But what I taught, I taught the experiments that I had worked with in live performance or in relationship to the frame, the theatrical frame, the pictorial frame. And 
uh, it was very clear that I, you know, that that the joy of teaching was a collaborative situation and was itself a kind of experimental artistic process. And so the school of disappearance as a pedagogy that people study at, you know, they study, take classes, people work with me privately, students and clients, and I do commissions and performances as well, and art installations, paintings, you know, um, I think the school itself is really, the pedagogy specifically is really also in a way a kind of group artistic experiment. So it's in that spirit that I said, well, all the practices go under the identity of the school no longer under my name. So, so to get back to maybe territory that we, you and I share potentially, um, you know, I, I needed a way to, I needed a way to characterize so much of how I had lived in a way was, was outside of Western bourgeois life, you could say, even though I had certain advantages, not economically, but you know the fact that I'm I'm a Jew and I consider myself a kind of tribal being. But yeah, I'm white passing and I have a certain manner of speaking and and access to certain kind of educational possibilities that didn't come to fruition. I had wanted to go for a PhD, and then uh, my student loans and the financial collapse made just made that possible, and I ended up scampering around keeping body and soul together, performing and teaching where I could. So I realized that what I was interested in was how I had gotten so outside the frame in a way of bourgeois society and, and how all of my attempts to kind of enter into that as safe space and be held by that as safe space had failed, I got very interested in that failure, that confrontation with void. And you know, kind of getting into a little bit of Freud and Lacan via the via kind of the study of Badieu, but also of phenomenology. Um, I guess I could say, let's go back to some disappearance principles. I guess I consider myself a phenomenologist of anything, you know, and that's what this idea of meeting the situation is. Um, when I went from having an extremely rigidly choreographed life in New York City, where I knew how to survive, do my art, travel, come back, um, to a situation where I actually didn't know how to survive, and my education wasn't helpful, and the fact that I was white meant sure if I got pulled over the cops, I wasn't gonna have my head blown off by a policeman because I was white passing at least. Um, yeah, I had certain advantages in that way, but basically I, I was living at large in the world and, and kind of, as I said, kind of living as an animal. And so why is that important? I, I think reading Merleau-Ponty, particularly the, the late work, The Visible and the Invisible, 
which in some ways you could see a correlation between appearance and disappearance, right? Um, this idea of meeting the situation, being an improviser in the world, right? When I found a disappearance, I thought, Andrew, it's untenable anymore to live these separate lives just because you want to survive. Everything has to be integrated. So you, if, you, if you hold to certain principles and artists, you hold those principles in your life. So this improvisational way of meeting the world and meeting the situation, you know, how does one do that? How does one meet the situation? Well, phenomenologically, one, and this comes out of, you know, classical kind of historical phenomenology, one brackets, what I call, I don't know if he uses this term, but one brackets the naming function. So in other words, for me, the sensory perceptual encounter is primary. So whatever's emerging in the field, you know, the sensory is, the kind, of, is kind of the physical physiological aspect of encountering a situation as an organism. And the perceptual aspect is, well, what do I do with that? I have, I have a neocortex, so what do I do? with the sensory phenomena that are emerging in the field and how do I process that? So there's a dance there. So the sensory perceptual encounter is critical to kind of disappearance methodology. So, and, and where does that come from? That comes from eventually, you know, studying with the postmodern masters in dance that were all around New York City, coming out of the Dutch and Dance Theater, the Grand Union, there, that was in the 60s to early 70s, but they were still kind of around. New York was still kind of its late flowering, the postman and dance scene. When I got out of Cooper Union in 1980 and started looking around the dance scene. And so I was trained to be an improviser, but I even realized that all the kind of choreographies and the improvisational structures and scores I'd learned ultimately were keeping me from meeting I don't want to say completely the real, because if you're involved with the real at its most fundamental level, there's, I want to say, at least in my own terms, disorganization and the great possibility of just meeting the horrific, you know, the unassimilable. But in performance, as an improviser, there were certain things you could count on. There was a stage space, there was an audience space, and there were certain bodies of knowledge that you could draw and certain choreographic structures you could work with. But as my performance career evolved and I began to leave the stage space and began even to leave um, the world of what was becoming hip at the time, maybe in the mid to late eighties, site specific performance, but nonetheless, it's all very controlled. You're selling a ticket, there's a designated audience, there's a designated performer. There's certain rules everyone's adhering to well, I began to work with material out in very unstructured environments and I wouldn't necessarily identify a performer or an audience member. I blur those boundaries completely. Those things were called moves. Those came out of, came out of experiments I did with, with Vilma. Um, the performance aspect of that work was called zero performance and, and we developed these things called moves that just happened in public space that were sort of like interruptions of how spaces are choreographed to serve certain purposes, right? All spaces, all public spaces are choreographed. So, so basically, 
what I got to in my own performance work and then decided that this was the way, why shouldn't I live this way, was to stay attuned to the sensory perceptual encounter and have no choreography and meet what is fundamentally, meet the aspects of the situation that call something forth in me or demand some kind of a response. And one other kind of disappearance fundamental principle you might interest you is, so this idea of meeting the situation, well, what's involved in that? One kind of primary concept of disappearance is, well, you could arrive to it. In other words, you could come up to the precipice of the situation and you say, oh, okay, I see certain phenomena appearing in that situation, although I'm not yet entering in. I'm aware that there are certain things going on. There are certain ways of things that that situational space, certain choreography it contains, generally speaking, and, and certain people, people may be moving in and out of the situation, but something happens in this situation and I can observe the phenomena that, that arise and maybe certain possibilities are developed and other possibilities are, are let go of. And okay, I have a sense of what that situation is. I've arrived to it to a certain degree. So as you and I arrived, well, you know, um, we, there were some complexities with the technology and how is it we both could share the screen at the same time and what are we gonna talk about? That's kind of an arrival process. But there's something further that happens and that is the potential of embedment. And the potential, potentiality of embedment in disappearance work is, it's one thing to arrive to a situation, you know, you've driven up to the edge of the Grand Canyon and you can see what's there, this tremendous void and also um, articulation of geologic manifestation, space, and, and yes, you could say you have arrived there, but have you embedded? No, you know, in order to embed in the situation, you would in, in one sense or another, leave the edge of the canyon and enter in. So embedment and disappearance means, okay, we, once we've arrived at the situation, do we want any further out of that? What we would like to embed, what does that mean? Embedment is a process by which one becomes interior to the situation to the degree that there's no separation. And why is that important? If you look at it, I think in sociopolitical terms, everyone's got a kind of political framework by which they could change the world and then the world is not changing. Everyone could oppose it an ideology upon a living structure um, in, in human society, broadly, human societies, plural. But the problem is the situation as a critical mass that's evolving, that, that, that's beyond our ability to impose our will upon it. And the proposition of disappearance is if one can move beyond one own, one's own ideological position, 
and truly in a sense, enter in like an animal is in the world. You know, enter in in such a way where the sensory perceptual encounter is primary, phenomenologically. That means, in other words, I'm not thinking the situation. I'm in as much as possible a primary physiological response so that my own intellectuality is, 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 is it's not, it's impossible completely to eradicate it, but it's, but it, 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 it becomes a little bit, it becomes flexible, it, it becomes a looser membrane, becomes more permeable so that I could be open to the real of that situation in a way I couldn't be if I was originally coming from a position sociopolitically or psychologically or emotionally. So if I can kind of lose myself, and this is another concept whereby I got very involved with Lacan and the promise I found in, in Lacan was actually the dissolution of the subject. You know, the idea that a subject is, is something constructed through and beyond an intersubjective framework, right? A subject only exists in relation to another subject. So that became very important for me. I immediately identified with this idea, well, actually, you know, what is the subject? And, 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 and is it, am I held together by my ego, you know, my ego structure? Um, am I, is a subject some kind of a permanent thing? Is that who I am? And, and I'm just kind of inserted into the world. So this idea that the subject, the idea that I have around it, I don't want to attribute to Lacan. Because I don't really know what Lacan thought and, and, and I'm surely not, I don't read French, I'm surely not an excellent interpreter, I don't think. I'm, I'm, Doesn't I'm matter, artist. matters what you think. <laughs> yeah, so, so for me, the subject as a kind of liminal construct that enables human beings to, to participate in civilization. Um, the assumption of language as a way of structuring, as a way of creating a subject, you know, I, I think my whole adult life has been in a way around a struggle to just pry that um, constraint apart, you know, that, that there's a kind of way of being in a more direct encounter with all kinds of phenomena than simply our narratives about how the world works. And, and why that was very important to me because as an artist, what, what I, that, that was moving across media that didn't define myself really by any one particular medium. You know, that there's a certain kind of creative space that allows for 
potentialities actually, if we go back to the idea of the situation as a place of containment of experience, um, there are certain potentialities that are not in the field of that situation. They don't exist at all. We could say that certain potentialities are properties of the void. And, and it's through entering into a certain kind of creative subjective relationship to other subjectivities that new possibilities emerge within the field of the situation, whatever it is. So that's my, my commitment to the creative life. And in a sense, what disappearance I think is asking is, can I function on the edge of organization? And you know, in the school, when we work together as an ensemble, that's always the, the, the question. It's sort of like, it's a, disappearance is an open enough framework where you sort of reside on the edge of chaos. And the question is, why is that important? Because I want the form, if we're talking about the pedagogy that potentially could outlive me, um, or at least kind of not even the pedagogy, but just the way of, the way of organizing a movement into creative space and, and possibly psychological and spiritual development, right? Political, um, moving into a more communal um, way of dealing with economy and, 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 and the care of the planet and the care of each other, our fellow human beings and, and, and the species of the earth. Um, yes, a communal or a more communist way of living in the world, whereby um, all potentialities of living phenomena and human beings are, are given a greater potential possibility of realization, let's say. Um, so being that I awakened to the fact that I spent so many years trying to get in to, to society as given, trying to kind of accept power as given and my position within the power structure as given, you know, and then I was thrown out at a certain point. I discussed some of how that happened. I was thrown out. So the question is, okay, so if you're, if you're on the edge of the civilization, you know, that's a certain situation that might include certain potentialities. Um, so, so the idea of the school in a way is, is, is that, you know, and it's interesting, I haven't written a book, right? I haven't written a book because I'm, I'm, I'm painting, I'm dancing, I'm performing, I'm, I'm doing uh, somatic practices with people, doing somatic work with clients. I'm, um, I've got this pedagogy going on. I haven't written a book. Most of it's orally transmitted at this point. You know, um, 
that's another sort of, you could say casualty of being outside of the academic kind of scholarly framework also, you know. Um, I'm a practitioner of sorts. So in a way I'm almost feel myself more aligned with a kind of shaman, shamanic um, relationship to one's tribe. In other words, you know, if the shaman kind of resides on the edge of the far, lives at the edge of the forest and is communicating, you know, he's, he's someone who also maybe doesn't fit so well with the tribe in general, you know, he doesn't do so well in all the customary fulfillments of what's expected, but he resides at the edge of the forest, but he brings word of the forest spirits back to the tribe and the potentialities that exist in the greater field beyond the situation of the limits that the tribe typically lives within. So there's this possibility of expansion of experience and knowledge and, 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 and creative interactions. So, so I would say that this appearance straddling this line of, well, you know, how do I learn it? How do I become a, a teacher of disappearance? How do I, you know, is there a certification program? No, because disappearance is just what we're all doing when we gather together. And it's, and I'm committed to the fact that much more powerful than anything I could codify as, a, as, as an academic kind of um, offering. Every student of the work brings with them a universe of potentiality by which they could expand the limits of the work. So that's so much more important to me. And, and what we could do together to, to create new possibilities inside of the work, what you would bring to it as with your own universe of experience and, and, and possibility is so much greater. So the challenging thing about it though, is that because it functions on this edge of form and formlessness, um, and if we think about it in terms of, of kind of how dances are made and things are more or less choreographed, more or less improvised, people always assume there's a certain structure. And, and, and when go, people go to study improvisation and dance, they Typically, the, 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 the teacher or the choreographer gives a lot of very strict limits. And as people get to know the work a little bit and what's involved, the limits come looser and looser. But with disappearance, it's the opposite. The, you can bring anything. There are no limits until the need for a limit emerges in the field. In other words, if, if the potential for learning, if the potential for creation, if the, if the potential for for having this deeply somatically integrated lived experience of the world with a less rigid exclusion of the real. Um, that's a, that's, that's, there's a mystical potential in that. And, 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 and so disappearance is, is just sort of like this very loose framework whereby people could find certain touchstones, touchstones where a limit is needed so that a form could emerge, a potential form. And, and it's far beyond anything that I could 
make happen on my own. My own artwork is something else. My own artwork also has a relationship as a solo practitioner, as someone I make group dances, but as someone else performs solo, someone who makes, when I'm painting, I'm alone in my studio, right? I have the encounter with the pictorial limit. Um, yeah, then there's another aspect of, of, but it's the same actually, you know, it's, it's, it's also like, how, how can I make space for, for the real to enter in to the degree that something beyond what I could rigidly control? Another way of looking at it is how can I allow God to enter into the situation and, and, and bring me into a potentiality that didn't exist prior with the given limits I faced prior? You know, how can I expand my own limits? So, so the artistic process is the same. And the pedagogical process is the same. So, so really disappearance as a practice is just a, a cultivation of the ability to meet the phenomena that arises in the field and then kind of stay grounded. You know, I mean, you have to know how much of the real you can handle. If you don't know that, yeah, then you get into trouble. I mean, then you'll find out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, uh, you know, in terms of your own audience, psychoanalytically oriented uh, uh, practitioners, students, and 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 clients, I guess I would say, I would invite people to make contact with me. You know, I, I think we didn't get so much into the relationship between disappearance and the potential relationship with psychoanalysis in general, Lacanian psychoanalysis specifically, but I'd say I, I would invite people to contact me and, 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 and you know, in, inquire into, if some, some of the things that I've spoken about kind of get people interested in something beyond a strictly psychoanalytic framework, maybe a kind of creative process framework or another way of looking at, you know, one thing I'm interested in is, you know, what's the nature of a relationship actually? And, and one thing that interests me about the whole Lacanian sphere is, is you know, what's actually, what is the client? What, what, what is the analyst and um, analyst relationship? And, and I have a sense coming from my own perspective and not being I couldn't call myself a Lacanian. I don't think I have the training to call myself a Lacanian specifically, but, but, but one thing that I haven't, that, that continues to be a curiosity for me is, is in my own terms, like what's, what's actually going on in the intersubjective field and in, in, in the analytic relationship and to the degree that it could become increasingly non-hierarchical. I, I think there's, Although I know there's been a lot of effort expended on equalizing that relationship, I think there are certain structural issues that that prevent that from becoming from the relationship being totally equalized on a level of power. And I'm curious about disappearance actually in relationship to Lacanian analysis 
uh, is there something there? Is there some kind of a dialogue that could unfold whereby we could look together at, at, at um, the relationship to the subject, the relationship to the creative space, the relationship to maybe trauma? Um, and I also feel like this idea of encountering and encountering, because like you said, oh, I haven't written a lot, but I feel like with the practice you're discussing, it's more about like embodying and living this practice. And then when you encounter other people, it's kind of transmitted that way, or people might get like turned on or inspired from the encounter of just like you living in that way, you know, rather than you explaining it or writing about it, it's more like experiential. And I feel like it, analysis it, yeah. is a lot like that too, because you can write about the theory all day, or like you said, people are trying to say like, what are they actually saying here? But it's more about like, the way it's interpreted through the different people and arts that way too right it's not about necessarily what the artist is trying to say in their work it's more about like the relationship that the person encountering it ends up having with the exactly artwork. i think that's right and i'll just say um just just as we close i, I want to say um yeah i mean i never know what i'm gonna make as a work of art there's a process that has to unfold that's very specific to the meeting of those materials. And when I encounter a client, I'm very interested in this in terms of perhaps, you know, your own ideas around this and other Lacanian analysts. You know, when I, when I work with a client, most of my practices are, are or many of my practices are outside of this kind of one-to-one -one interaction with the client that's typical of the ground, I guess, of the psychoanalytic process but when i work with a client one-on-one -on -one, all i do is try to attune and listen to the phenomena that emerges in the field i have no choreography from which that i'm going to bring and it's interesting because when i read psychoanalytic texts and i read the literature um lacanian literature i'm I, i'm still like i just have this question like how much of your training is facilitating the analysis and how much of it is actually something that actually might need to be bracketed so that one could just simply reside in the sensory perceptual encounter mm -hmm. so that something else could emerge within the field. And for me that there's, there's in my reading the Lacanian literature, there's a real struggle there, you know, between like, these incredibly virtuosic explanations of this impenetrable text of Lacan. And I'm like, yeah, but what actually is needed in this situation of being in the room with a client? And I don't know if you have time to tell me anything about your own perspective on that, but, but that's something for future inquiry. And so my invitation to people in the psychoanalytic community would be to engage me and let's look at some of these questions together. No, absolutely. I was just, I had a friend that was looking for an analyst the other day and I was kind of explaining to her, she's not in the field, like the difference between like psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, analysts, and these different ways of working, like CBT and behavioral therapy and psychoanalysis and stuff like that. And I was like, basically you need like all of this training to like shut the fuck up and just like be there because like a lot of therapists, you know, psychologists will be like, you know, oh, you have to do this, giving advice, giving you homework. And it's like, you have to like 
train yourself to not fill up the space with yourself and all of your antics and your own stuff and just to basically give the other person space so that they can actually do their own work instead of like interfering in their process um but a lot of people can't do it they just can't stop talking yeah it's taken me 63 years right to kind of get there so anyway i mean i did a lot of talking today i suppose that was appropriate but i want you to know that you're um, supposed to talk in this situation and even this <laughs> podcast the way you're describing it is kind of like what i try to do here is like i'm gonna because i've listened to a lot of other podcasts and it's a lot of time like we cult the personality and the podcaster is like always talking and they invite people on but they really have their own ways of thinking and they're just like trying to like impart those and they talk over their guests and it like it makes me insane and so I really want to just provide a space where people can you know do their thing and um yeah and say what they think and and like I said not have too much structure in the beginning and just see what comes up from the encounter you know that's my and you're very generous I mean, listening to your podcasts, you're extremely generous and 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 you ask great questions and you are back. And I, I, I think you provide a great service. I just want to say that I, I'm aware of all of the practices that you yourself engage in. I think we share something like that. I mean, you're an author, you're an analyst, you're an editor, you're a poet, you're a musician. I mean, it's kind of amazing the amount of uh, just on the sheer level of production. <laughs> you know, you do a lot, and I'm also aware just from some of the things that you've disclosed in some of your writings and 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 your podcasts that you've had your share. Also, coming from a working class background, you know, I think you have appreciation of class issues, and and you had some difficulty with your analytic training, and 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 so. I just want to say that um, I don't know. Thank you for 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 being you and doing your work, and thank you for inviting me into your process. As so far as we could share this podcast together, I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for being here, and you're welcome back anytime. And how's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Uh, Disappearance.project at gmail.com. I'm in the. I have all these blogs, which you'll which were kind of in lieu of website of a website with all the different practices and the school of disappearance blog on school of disappearance.tumblr.com uh, is, uh, is the one where I kind of put my classes up. I could say that the next semester at the school is going to begin around January 6th. We have a, so far we have a Wednesday class online, Saturday class here in Boulder in the studio, but um I'm open to suggestions. I mean, you know, I put out prefaces from time to time that are free for people. They're like an hour and a half or two hour encounter with the work via Zoom. So I can try and broaden access to the work. If people are interested in those, they should contact me. And if people just wanna get in touch and share their ideas about what I presented here, what's alive for them, if people want to introduce me to their work, um, I, I, I would, I greatly welcome the contact. So don't hesitate. And uh, yeah, I know Vanessa, Vanessa, I really appreciate it. I, I think let's stay in touch. I, I wanna kind of know more about, you know, this is the thing about the century perceptual encounter. I mean, it's like, <laughs> this podcast is all about me, but ultimately it's not all about me. I mean, I, it's it's really about 
who are we, what worlds do we share and who are you? And also, you know, on some level, I would like, I would like to be able to, you know, give back and be a resource to you. Let's put it that way. So that invitation is open. If it ever seems like, let me step, step out of the psychoanalytic community for a moment and, 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 and go, go into some other space with Andrew, you know, I'm happy to do that with you. So, so I'll, I want to encourage you to stay in touch and I'll stay in touch with you as well. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Perfect. All right. Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a discussion with Andrew Marcus. For more, visit the School of Disappearance website at schoolofdisappearance.tumblr.com and contact disappearance.project at gmail.com. Links to everything can be found in the text accompanying this episode. You can visit my website, drvanessasinclair.net, or the podcast main website, renderingunconscious.org, for links and more information. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at rawsin underscore. That's R-A-W-S-I-N underscore. And now this song, Dark Moon, from the album Cut to Fit the Mouth, a collaboration I did with Carl Abrahamson, available digitally at Highbrow Low Life's Bandcamp page. That's highbrowlowlife.bandcamp.com and as a limited edition CD box and cassette, available from Chapart Editions. Just visit Trapart's website, T-R-A-P-A-R-T dot net. Enjoy. Recorded on the new moon, June 3rd, 2016. My lunar module could never rest. Take me to the moon. The dark side of the moon, yeah, temporarily in is Lilith. And I bring to you, despised, and I seek your moment of freedom. Were spare developed an idiocut creative space habit right there as soon as the knowledge by leaving the child fly to UK to sign books return home from UK 
Brian Geisen and William S. His works, however, the definition, connective tissue, as the skin, limbs, and divination proved, was not that, very, be with you, know or not know, of laboring feel. Of laboring feet, know or not know, be with you, fairy, that was not proved, and divination, as the skin limbs, connective tissue, definition, his works, however, the Brian Geisen and William S. Return home from UK, fly to UK to sign books, knowledge by leaving the child, habit right there, as soon as this spare created an idiosyncratic space, were moment of freedom, despised, and I seek your, is Lilith, and I bring to you, temporarily in the dark side of the moon. Yeah, take me to the moon. My lunar module could never rest.